where are you? I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I quit doing the things I wasn't supposed to be doing, but I just, I can't hear your voice. And it's like he's just silent. This is your moment. This is your moment. This is your moment. Experience God's love and God's peace with us. See what God is doing for your neighbors at Crosspoint. Be blessed with today's broadcast. Whether you're a believer, whether you're a non-believer, this is just something that we all deal with, that as Christians, we deal with the silence of God. As non-believers, sometimes they use that as an excuse to say, well, I haven't heard from God, so I don't have to believe in God. But we all go through these seasons in our life about when, when, we, when we just don't hear God and when we don't feel God. In one moment, you feel like you're just in the almighty presence of the Lord. And then there's a moment where you just can't seem to get his attention. I mean, you trust that he's there, but you just don't feel like you're in his presence. Am I alone in here? Or some of you guys go through that as well. I was talking with Gary about this yesterday. We were talking about this conflict that I was having. And I said, it's, it's kind of like, and he had mentioned being out in the hallway. And I said, yeah, that's exactly it. I said, it's, it's kind of like, being in a hallway, and immediately when he said that, I thought, I, sometimes I, I'm in my house, and I walk down the hall, and, and, and Hannah's door's closed, and I can hear something going on in there, the TV or music or whatever's going on in there. I don't, can't really tell, and I walk by Mylon's door, and, and Mylon usually doesn't have his door closed. He's not quite at that age yet. You know, it's coming soon. But he'll be on his little video, and he's laughing, he's cutting up, and, in, and I'm thinking, what in the world is he watching? And I walk into the, the sunroom and, and, and over in the, in the back deck, and Amy's out there, and she's on the phone, and you know, she's cutting up, and she's laughing, or she's praying with somebody, as she often does when she's out there. And, and, and I, I can see her mouth moving, but I can't hear her voice. It's like they're, they're all around me, but I feel alone. Everybody's got their own thing going, and, and I just wonder what they're up to. And I don't really want to interrupt them. That's just too much trouble. But I felt like that. I felt like sometimes, even as a pastor, I just, I feel like it's like I, I know, I know he's here, but I don't know he's hearing me. I don't know that. I'm hearing him. Everybody, everybody in here, everybody watching online, we all go through heartaches. We go through ups and downs, and it's like this spiritual roller coaster that we, we live our life on, and we're just constantly going through some type of a storm, or, or we're desperate for a word from the Lord when we go through these things, and it's like he's just silent sometimes, and you want to say, Lord, where are you? I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I quit doing the things I wasn't supposed to be doing, but I just, I can't hear your voice. 
And it's like he's just silent. Matthew 8 and 18. It says, Jesus gave orders to go over to the other side. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and they woke him saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. If you read that in Mark chapter 4, it's the same story. It said, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Peter yells out to Jesus, We are about to die. Do you not care? You're sound asleep, and we're going through this storm, and, and, and I feel like we're about to die. You know, recently, in the last few years, they discovered a Galilean fishing boat, and it was about 27 feet long. This stage is 40 feet long, so about 13 feet shorter than this stage, and it was about 8 feet long, so it's... it's about from here to the edge, or wide, I mean, about here to the edge, wide. So, a pretty good-sized boat. It's enough for several men to be in that boat. And some of those boats, just like if you can imagine a bass boat today where the, 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 the stern of it would, would have a, a deck over it and the bow would have a deck built and maybe a little cubby inside of it where someone can crawl under there and rest or they would put supplies under there and, and apparently there was a cushion for people to, to rest. And Jesus had crawled into, maybe, it doesn't tell us, but, but if he crawled into a cushion, I can't imagine it would be on top of that deck. But he, so he must have crawled in. He's on a cushion. And the storm is going on. And he's sound asleep. And I want, I want us to kind of just get into what was taking place during this time. I want to get into the mind of Peter. Peter was kind of his right-hand man. and We read in, in, in Matthew from chapters 5 through 7, one of the most famous discourses in history, the most certainly the most famous religious message in history, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. And both those chapters, they, they record when Jesus... He walks up this, this big hill, and, and I, I can just see this kind of, this, this easy grade. As just before you go up to a mountain, it's a big hillside, and he would, he would go toward the, the, the top of the hill at the base of the mountain, and, and there people could sit around. And you've got you've to understand what's going through these disciples' minds, because they started with Jesus. They, he, he called them, and it's just the disciples, and he would teach them. Every day they would walk with him and he would teach and, and then somebody would, would come along and they would follow. And then another person would come along and they would follow. But at this point when he's given this sermon on the mount, there's thousands and thousands of people surrounding this hillside listen to this incredible teaching. There's uh, even, there's recorded some famous religious leaders 
outside of Christianity who have read the Sermon on the Mount and said Jesus most certainly was an incredible teacher. Some was even recorded as saying if uh, they saw the evidence in a Christian's life, they might even become a Christian themselves. But, but the teaching of Jesus and the walk of Christians didn't match up, and so they stayed in the religion that they were at. So this was a spectacular moment in history. It was an incredible, an incredible message. And he comes down off this mount after this thousands of people have just been astounded. He even tells us at the end, they're just in awe of this message. And he comes down and, and he goes into the village and, and this leper comes up to him at the village and he asks Jesus to heal him. And sure enough, Jesus says, I will. Now here's a leper that is not even supposed to be around these people. And Jesus heals this leper. The incurable in Jesus heals him. Now, now they've heard this incredible, life-changing message. And now they come down into the village, into the city, or the town, whatever it was. And, and, and suddenly there's a miracle right before their very eyes. They've lived with lepers. There's no cure for leprosy. And suddenly, Jesus just heals this man. And they walk a little further. Same day, and this centurion, this Roman centurion, comes up to Jesus and he says, Master, teacher, one of my servants is sick and paralyzed and he's going to die. And he says, would you heal this man and the people surrounding said, Hey, this this he's Roman, but he's a good guy, he's good to us Jews. Jesus says, I'll come to I'll come to your house, I'll come there, and I'll heal him. And the man says, No, no, you don't need to come to my house. I'm a man of authority. When I give the word, people have to do what I say. And you're also a man of authority. And I know that if you just give the word, my servant will be healed. And the Bible says, Jesus is astounded, he's in awe. Never, he says, never have I seen this much faith, and it's a Roman. And sure enough, that very hour, his servant is healed. They walk along a little further, and the Bible tells us that they, they go to Peter's house, and history tells us that Jesus spent a lot of time in Peter's house, and he would go there sometimes to sleep or to rest, and he would teach there. But when he got there, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. The Bible says she had a fever. And so Jesus reaches out his hand and touches her and heals her. So now we've gone from this incredible message to, to healing a leper and healing a, a, a Roman a servant, and now it's personal, now it's family. He's healed this, his mother-in-law, he's healed this family member that he loves so much. Same day. Later that afternoon... The Bible tells us that they began bringing multitudes to Jesus. He's got to be wore out at this moment. But they keep bringing these sick people and those that have demons, and he's casting out demons, and, and he's, he's healing these people of their sickness and their disease. Everybody that they brought, same day. And then he, he goes out and... The Bible tells us that it's later that afternoon. And Jesus says, we're going to cross the sea. 
Now, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows on the other side of the sea, that in uh, 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 Genesaret, he knows when he gets on the other side that there is a man over there. There's Gentiles over there, and he wants to plant a seed. He wants to cast the devil out of this man, devils out of this man, and he's got to get over there. But there's got to, they got to get across this sea. And so he tells these former professional fishermen, let's get in the boat. And let's go across the sea. And sure enough, they get in. They begin rowing across this beautiful sea. I can just about imagine this gorgeous sunset. The water's calm. And they're in this boat I was just telling you about. And the sail's up. And, and they would have had two sets of, of oars. So you've got four of the disciples are rowing. Peter's probably in the back. And, and he's steering the boat. And man, everything is just going great. It's a beautiful night on the water. This is what he does for a living, or did do. Taking a boat out on the water. But Jesus is exhausted. And the Bible says he goes into the stern of the boat, and he falls asleep. In this short amount of time, in one day, I mean, they have just seen miracle after miracle. Just in one day, this profound message, these healing demons being cast out, and Peter, I can just imagine, Peter's probably in the best moment of his life. Hey, I mean, think about this. Finally, you get to do something for Jesus. He's done something for everybody all day long. And finally, this is what you're good at. Driving the boat, this is your deal. This is what you've been doing your whole entire life. Your family's done this. And finally, he's getting to do something for Jesus. Jesus was depending on him, he probably thought. All smooth sailing. I know I've told this story before, but when Amy and I got married, we spent six years praying for a child. Six years believing, praying with others, praying. And I was told that, well, I couldn't have any more children. And it would be impossible well, finally, we fasted, and we prayed, and we trusted the Lord. And on October the 17th of 2007, this little baby girl was born. It was incredible. God had answered our prayer, this, this calm miracle had taken place. We were smooth sailing, if you will. One day... She began spitting up a little more than usual. And it continued. She, everything we would feed her, she would spit up. We'd feed her, she would spit up. We took her to the pediatrician. Pediatrician said, well, there's nothing wrong. You're overfeeding her. She's fine. So we made an appointment with a different doctor. Went to that doctor, and he was a retired doctor, but he would fill in from time to time and and just to be honest, he more or less mocked us and said, you're just feeding her too much. Kids spit up. 
You keep feeding her, she's going to spit up. Stop feeding her so much. But we're the ones home with her. We're the ones seeing how much we feed her, and how much we feed her is exactly what she's spitting up, and she's spitting up this clabbered milk. We, we knew something wasn't right. It just kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse. We would go to a different doctor and a, a different doctor, and, and, and her skin began changing colors, and her, her skin began getting wrinkled. We would take shifts at night because we couldn't lay her down. We, we didn't want her to choke, and we would put her in the car seat in our bedroom. We would take shifts watching her to make sure she didn't choke. And finally, she started spitting up blood and dried blood and fresh blood and dried and just sick. And we finally, we took her back to the pediatrician. And finally, somebody took us serious. And she said, oh, oh, no, this is serious. And she said, take this child to Louisville Children's Hospital today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Go to the emergency room. Do not tarry. Don't go home and take a rest. Get to this hospital now. This same doctor, well, I won't get into that story, but nonetheless, she got a piece of my mind over that daughter. So we ran home, packed a bag, took off to Louisville, and it's nighttime, and we go into the emergency room, and it's standing room only. And we, we put the name in, we register, and honestly, within just a few minutes, they called us back, and we were kind of shocked by that. And the surgeon, or, or the doctor on call comes in, he says, listen, if you don't mind, can I bring these other uh, doctors, because they're student doctors, and, and I need them to see what an actual true sick baby looks like. Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for them to see something that's not in the books. Of course, we agreed. We didn't care. Just take care of the kid. And they called in more specialists, radiologists. They pumped her stomach. She's, what, six, seven months old at this time? How old was she? Seven weeks old at this time? And so they, they're having to pump our seven-week-old daughter's stomach. And this child, these doctors are telling us that this is critical. And they finally tell us, look, we've got to have surgery now. This is not anything to discuss. It's not anything to wait. We don't talk about it. We've got to have surgery now. This child that we prayed and believed for and we fasted for is at death's door. I mean, this baby had came, and we were like, "Woo, yes, hallelujah. And within a matter of weeks, the storm comes, and we're trying to figure out, where's God? Every step along the way, where is the voice of the Lord? They have surgery that next morning. And they had already told us when the surgery was over that to prepare for the worst because the next few days would be absolutely critical. 
what her condition was only happens in firstborn males. This just doesn't happen in girls. This is a male situation. It's, a, uh, it's, it's something to do with the muscle that releases food from the stomach, and it only happens in males, and yet here we've got a little girl that this has happened to. And so the next morning, they come in with a team of doctors, and they are ready to start treating this girl. And she's smiling and cooing and laughing, and, and they're shocked. Because they, they had anticipated, we're just hours past the surgery, they had anticipated having to come in and really start caring for this around the clock. And he dismissed his doctors and he said, well, we're fine. She's perfectly fine. And without saying a word, God spoke. Without saying a word. We were desperate for a voice from the Lord. And without saying a word, another miracle. See, (laughs) when you look up here, and you see our little 16-year-old girl up here singing. You might think, oh, well, that's cute. Pastor's daughter, pastor, pastor's wife's daughter, she's up here singing. But we look at it differently. Because we look at it as what the enemy meant for harm. God turned around to glorify his name. We look at it as a... a, a, a prayers being answered, a miracle coming forth. But the enemy tried to wipe her out early on. How many times in your life have you prayed over something or someone and it looked like the enemy is about to wipe it out? And then you wake up sometime later and you look and you're staring at the face of an answered prayer. Do we take that for granted? Because it hits us a little different. I wouldn't expect it to hit you that way. But what has God answered in your life? What has he done in your life that shouldn't, some of you shouldn't be here today. Some of you should still be behind bars. Some of you should be six feet under today. But God answered a prayer when you were just desperate for his voice. Psalm 46, 9 says, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. God says, I may be engaged in these wars all across the earth. I may be defeating enemies, but I'm also with you. I'm also defeating your enemy. I don't know how long silence has been going on in your life, how long you've been desperate for a voice from the Lord, but he says, be still and know that I am still in control. Know that I am the God that you're desperate for. In Mark 4... It goes on, and after this calm send-off that these 
experienced sailors were used to. The Bible tells us that something instantly changes on these waters. It says in verse 37 that a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they, they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? This violent storm was raging against the boat. The waves are high. They're filling the boat and they're desperate. They're, they're rowing with the double oars. They're trying to get to safety. I can imagine some of them dipping out the water because it says it's filling with water and some of them are dipping it out and they're giving it all they've got at this moment. And the Lord of creation is silent. The Lord of creation is sound asleep. And finally, Peter, when it looks like all hope is lost, Peter walks to the stern. He goes to the back of the boat and he, he grabs Jesus on the shoulder and shakes him and says, Hey! We need you. We are desperate for you. Wake up, look around. There is a storm going on. We're about to die. Do you not care? I mean, this is an incredible storm, but it's obvious that they're panicked. They're desperate. And when you're panicked, you reach out to Jesus. And I wonder sometimes if your storm is meant to get you out of complacency, to get you out of smooth sailing, to get you out of that moment of everything's doing just fine. I wonder if sometimes Jesus is the one walking down that hallway and seeing you, seeing you on the phone cutting up, Seeing you on the watching TV, seeing you on a on your tablet or your phone, and I wonder if he's just desperate for somebody to talk to him. I wonder if if it's the storm that gets us to cry out to Jesus. The Bible tells us, "Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, because you are with me." It's walking through the shadow of death. It's walking through that storm, that torment that gets us to trust in the Lord. Everything I've truly learned, I've learned in a storm. Everything that has built my faith, that has strengthened me for today, I got from a storm. Every time things are smooth sailing, usually I kind of do what Peter probably did. I usually start doing a lot of this. Man, look what I've done. Everything's working out fine. The bills are paid. There's food in the fridge. We're going on a little trip. Man, I am working this thing out. And then a storm comes. It's like, Lord, oh my God, help me, Lord. And sometimes I wonder if he goes, oh, oh, it's you. 
Good to hear from you again. Hadn't heard from you in a while. Everything working out pretty good. Well, it was. But that storm is what causes us to cry out. And it goes on. He says, he awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he could have ended it right there. This would have been a great story. But he said to them, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? But do you think? He is wore out. He's just displayed to them this, this incredible, astounding teaching that changes the world forever. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And he's teaching them that I'm giving you the power to do these things. I've given you the power to tread over serpents. I've given you the authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. And he takes a little sleep, and the first time a storm comes along, they're panicked. And I can see Jesus just getting up from that, like, are you kidding me? I got 10 minutes of sleep, and he's standing up, and he's going, peace, be still. And everything goes to calm, and you can see the sun just about to set again, the water's and then he turns around and looks at them. And you know, if I'm sitting in that boat, I'm going, uh-oh, I bet we could have done that. I bet we should have done that. I bet, I bet we should have done, practiced what he's taught us all this time instead of panicked. And I think sometimes we get in this habit of packing Jesus around, but we don't practice Jesus. And that's what they were doing. They were packing him in this boat. He was right there. But because he wasn't up doing all the work, they panicked. And they didn't trust in the word. They didn't trust in the promise that he had given them. I've given you authority over the enemy. And nothing will hurt you. There's something on the other side of a storm that we got to get to. And I promise you this, every time you're headed that direction, a storm's going to come. Don't be shocked. Every time that God puts a purpose in your life, every time there's somebody that only you can reach, there is a storm that will come to attempt to stop you. It's not going to be smooth sailing. The enemy is going to do everything in his power to stop you from being effective in the kingdom of God. We get shocked, we get panicked, and finally we cry out to God. I want to encourage you today, if you are going through a storm, and you heard my wife talking this morning about how the enemy has come against many of us, and I'm in the same boat, if you will. It's like just attack after attack after attack, but I made my mind up a long time ago, I'm going to keep paddling toward the prize. I'm not going to give up. What, as Peter told, what am I going to go back to? What else is there but you, Lord? 
That's, the, that's what we've got to get in our spirit, that no matter what comes against us, we're going to continue to pursue the Lord Jesus. I don't know what's on the other side of your sea. The Lord has shown me some things on the other side of my sea that I'm paddling toward. It seems like I just keep hitting, pounded with these storms. I've lost a few oars, oars, rowers, rowers of the oars along the way. But we're still paddling. And we're not going to quit and we're not going to give up. Thanks for watching today's broadcast. If you were encouraged today or made a decision for Christ, let us know by visiting our website. And I think sometimes we get in this habit of packing Jesus around, but we don't practice Jesus. And that's what they were doing. They were packing him in this boat. He was right there. But because he wasn't up doing all the work, they panicked. And they didn't trust in the Word. They didn't trust in the promise that He had given them. I've given you authority over the enemy. And nothing will hurt you.